All right, well, it's good to see you all this morning. Welcome back to Community Church. It's always a blessing to have you here. Great time of worship, great time of communing with the Lord, and thank you, Kyle, for that good word. We're very thankful for that. Um, Word of warning uh, to you this morning. We're going to be biting off a large portion of prophetic scripture this morning, okay? And so um, I guess the warning is this. It's twofold. One, we are definitely not going to be able to cover everything that's in it. Um, Therefore, I'm going to encourage you once again to get involved in a community group because we do sermon-based small groups, and we have one in Union and one in Sullivan that meet on Wednesday nights at 630 where we take the text that I've preached on and we go deeper into it. And so there's going to be things we don't cover this morning that we'll probably cover there, and I would just encourage you to do that. Um, The second side, I guess, or the other warning would be um, there's a chance I could go a little bit long this morning, and I know most of you are like, man, you already go an hour, though. Uh, I'm going to try my best, but I don't want to skim over anything. We're in a very important portion of the text, so I'm just going to beg your patience on the front end. Uh, Derek said if I go too long, he's going to door dash a pizza anyway, so if you get hungry, uh, Derek's down in Children's Church, so I can make fun of him because he's not here. But here we go. We've reached a portion of Luke's gospel here where some believe is at the end of the third day of Christ's last week of ministry on earth. This is where Christ is going to give his prophetic teaching from the Mount of Olives. We call this the Olivet Discourse. Um, Most scholars believe that this was the same conversation here in Luke that we see recorded in both Matthew and Mark in their gospel accounts, although it's possible that they are different conversations. However, I do believe that they are the same because, as is the case many times within the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and sometimes even John, all record the same event but give us different details within that event. And so what we see here in Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse is abbreviated, you could say. Mark's account is a bit fuller. The account that you're going to read in Matthew is the fullest of the three, for sure. But all of the prophecy uh, Christ proclaimed here that day on the mountain, and and all of these uh, things were to take place uh, shortly after, okay? Now, we'll talk about uh, a type of prophecy here in just a minute to help explain this. But this was to happen after the sacrificial death of Christ, after his resurrection, after his ascension, back up into glory. And here's what this prophecy that we're going to be talking about today includes, okay? By and large, it includes the destruction of Jerusalem. That's the first thing we see. We also see what the world is going to be like when Christ is gone. And then we're also going to see the signs that will precede his glorious return to the earth. But as I mentioned before, Matthew and Mark give us more details regarding the great tribulation, which we know as Daniel's 70th week prophecy. We know this as the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Noticeably absent in today's prophecy, I want to call your attention to this, noticeably absent from these prophecies are the church, the bride, the body of Christ. Noticeably absent is the rapture of the church. Because as Ironside put it, these were truths that were yet to be revealed. And not to mention, when you look at Matthew's account, we know that Matthew was a Jew. He was writing to the Jews about a Jew. Okay, so in that case specifically, it makes perfect sense that his account includes the most detail in regard to the Great Tribulation. 
So, because these prophecies largely relate to Israel. But what we do see in this passage, I think, is common in, in Bible prophecy throughout the Bible. It's called, it's called the law of double reference. And I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology before, but basically the law of double reference in regard to prophecy simply means that there's a partial fulfillment of these prophecies at some point in the future. And then later there is a complete or a more full fulfillment of that prophecy later on in the, in the future. In this case, these prophecies will be fulfilled in full at the return of Christ to the earth. And so there's a little bit of the basis of where we're going to be this morning. So we'll go ahead and pray and then we'll read the text and get into the word. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time around your word. Thank you that you have preserved your word throughout the history of our country and of our world. Lord, you have in fact settled your word in heaven. It's final. It's over. It's something that we can believe in. It's foundational. It's unchanging. And so, Lord, as we get into your word this morning, please get your word into us. Help us to understand it rightly. Help us to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, may I not say anything false or untrue. If I do, Lord, please strike it quickly from our mind and help us to only see the truth of your word today. For it's in Christ's name I ask this. Amen. Amen. So let's read the text. Again, an extended text this morning. Luke chapter 21. I'm going to start reading in verse 5. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Verse 10. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost by your patience possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Verse 25. 
And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads up, because your redemption draws near. Verse 29, then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they're already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that that day, that day, come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. All right, fascinating portion of scripture. If you'd like to do a comparison study on our text today, you can find it in Matthew chapter 24. You can also find it in Mark 13. But here is how Christ lays out both prophecies concerning the temple and the prophecies concerning his return. We see them both in our text. Okay, here's how he lays them out. I'm going to give you a brief outline of what this looks like, and then we're going to go through it one verse at a time. In verses 5 through 6, Christ predicts the destruction of the temple in in Jerusalem. This would be the second temple. Verse 7, the disciples ask, when will this happen, and what will be the sign? Then in verses 8 through 11, Christ actually gives them information related to his return. In other words, this is what the world is going to be like before I return. And then he follows that up in verses 12 through 24 with more specific details that are directly related to the destruction of the temple and the results that will follow that. And then in verses 25 through 33, he broadens the scope back out to reveal the signs that we can expect to see that will immediately precede his return. And then the chapter wraps up in verses 34 through 38 with a warning to all of us to make sure that you and I are living with hearts that are lifted up to Christ rather than hearts that are weighed down by the things of the world. So again, fascinating stuff here this morning. Let's look at it in a little bit more detail. We'll try to move quickly. Verse 5, Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. Yeah, okay, so Matthew tells us that his disciples were the ones that were showing him the temple. It wasn't just some people. It was actually the disciples that were doing this. That's Matthew 24, 1. And then Mark tells us that one of them said, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. That's in Mark 13, 1. So it's his disciples who are inquiring here. Then Jesus said, verse 6, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So again, prophecies about the destruction of the temple 
This is the second time that Christ has mentioned this very specifically. The first time we've seen it was in Luke chapter 19, verse 44. Okay, so he's already told them two times at this point that the temple is about to be destroyed or it's going to be destroyed. And of course, history tells us when we look back that this actually happened in A.D. 70. But I've got to wonder here just for a minute. I wonder if there was a bit of frustration here on the part of Christ course i can't prove that in scripture i'm just wondering at least initially because there seems to be this massive disconnect here between what christ was teaching and what the disciples were learning has that ever happened to you like i am i can relate lord what are you teaching it doesn't seem to be connecting with me and what i mean is christ had just told them about this poor widow He was teaching them about giving, the importance of giving from our poverty. He was teaching them about the value of sacrifice. In other words, the value is in the giving. It's determined by what's left, not by how big your gift is, okay? So Jesus has been saying, guys, look at the widow. Look at her heart. Look at her inward beauty, if you will. And then the disciples pop up and say, yeah, that's cool and all, but look at the outward beauty of this temple. You see the disconnect? Something's off. I guess beauty is truly in the eye of the the beholder, but I think that's the problem. That's the problem we see here. But what we have in verses 5 through 6 is some of his disciples, they're speaking up. They're wanting to talk about how beautiful the temple is and all its donations and how beautifully adorned and so on, but they completely miss the point of the lesson. The real beauty was in the heart of the widow. That's where the real beauty was. Sometimes we're so enamored with what one day will be destroyed. Have you ever thought about that? So many things that will one day be destroyed so quickly grab our attention and hold our attention like money, buildings. All the while, Christ is over here teaching us how to live. Live like her. Live with your whole heart surrendered to Christ, right? In view of the coming destruction, of this material world that we cling to so tightly and we so lovingly adore for whatever reason we're so enamored with the thing that's passing away verse 7 so they asked him saying teacher but when will these things be and what sign will there be that these things are about to take place okay so now it, it does appear that the lord has their attention okay i mean who wouldn't want to know when destruction is coming that seems like a good thing to know but think about it like this Again, I'm not sure this is what's going on in the mind of the disciples, but I know it can go on in my mind if I'm not careful. So think about it. If we just knew when judgment was coming, what's one thing we could do? We could put off our repentance, couldn't we? Until judgment was at our doorstep. But Christ teaches us about the coming judgment in order that we might live out every single day of our life fully for him not postpone it. As Matthew Henry said, all knowledge is desirable as far as it is in order to practice. Exactly right. Christ tells us what we need to know so that we can begin to live for him from this day forward, right? And every day until he comes, not waste our lives hoping to get right with God at the 11th hour. We're to live every day for him. Death is coming. We know that. We know judgment is certainly coming. Absolutely. The rapture is coming. The great tribulation is coming. 
the Lord Jesus Christ will return to the earth. So the point is, how does these truths affect how I'm living right now? The disciples were concerned with two questions. When and what sign? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says, For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. So this gives us, I think, another indicator here that this teaching from Christ is, in fact, specific to the Jews. Not that Christians can't draw application from it, because, of course, we can. But we have to keep Scripture in its proper context. That's why we're taking such a large chunk of it here today. Okay, so this question, though, is specifically in reference to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So at this point, Christ has gone back to the Mount of Olives. He has sat down. He was approached privately by some of his disciples, Matthew 24, 3. And Mark 13, 3 tells us that the disciples who approached him was actually Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Those were the guys that came to him. And they were asking for clarity, not just on when the temple was going to be destroyed, but they also asked for a sign of the coming of the end of the age. So what they're doing is relating one event with the other in their mind. And Christ is going to actually give them insight into both. But Matthew and Mark, they focus more, again, on the great tribulation portion and Christ's return at the end of the age than does Luke. But again, as we've seen many times, the gospel writers all sort of shoot their pictures from different angles, if you will. And we should thank God that they do that. It was all inspired by the Holy Spirit anyway, because what that does is it gives us a much larger and more full picture to look at. So Luke records Jesus answering the larger question of his return at the end of the age first. Christ answers that question first, verse 8. And he said, take heed that you do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, the time is drawn near, therefore do not go after them. So again, watch out, be careful, do not be deceived. What does that necessarily tell us? Deception is coming, right? There will be people out there that hope to deceive us. Deception is coming, so don't be deceived. Many will claim to be Christ or a Christ. Many will predict the end of time. The last date I heard was July 26th. Many will do this. Many have always done this. Don't believe it. Take heed, the word says. Don't go after them. Verse 9. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Okay, so wars, commotions, they're inevitable, and they must come to pass, and it must happen first. And so, guys, you and I are living in this time. This is where we are. However, it does not mean necessarily that the end is near verse 8. It will not come immediately, verse 9. Because the obvious result, think about it, the obvious result of a world who has rejected the Prince of Peace is what? War, commotion, instability, disorder, confusion. This is the natural order of things for a world that has rejected its king. Verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, of course, that's been the case all throughout history, all throughout human history. The world has always sought peace apart from Christ. 
Here in America, we call it peace through strength. That's how we want to claim it apart from Christ, right? But the world has always promised us safety rather than a savior. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse three says, for when they say peace and safety, right? Peace through strength. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Labor pains, once I've been told, once they start, (laughs) they increase in frequency and with intensity. Ladies, right? Amen. Yeah. Thank you. So they increase with frequency and intensity. And such is the, the case with all of these signs. They're exactly like labor pains. Verse 11. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. What we're seeing here is that all of creation will continue to groan until its redemption. Romans chapter 8 verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. That word now is in reference to its redemption. So the entire world will continue to groan with labor pangs together until its redemption. And then in Matthew 24 verse 8, we see that it says, All these, meaning these signs, are the beginning." Of sorrows. That's the beginning. So these signs are the beginning of the end, is a way that you could say that. Now, let's pause here for a second and ask another question. Have we seen any of these signs? Have we seen any of these things happening? I mean, in one sense, I would say definitely, I think that we have but not to the degree that they will see in the tribulation, okay? Earthquakes. We've all either been in an earthquake or heard about an earthquake. Uh, I actually felt one under my feet in southwest Missouri one time. That was pretty weird. Lived on the uh, west coast for a while, and once we moved out there, I downloaded an earthquake app uh, just because I knew that that was a real possibility out there. And it's true. It happens all the time. Every day, there's earthquakes out in the ocean. They're all waiting for the big one. But as I got to scrolling through that app, I was noticing things. Whoa, there's a ton of earthquakes in Oklahoma. Hmm, that might be caused by fracking, but it's an earthquake in various places that weren't normally there. And as you scroll through that app, they're all over the country. Earthquakes are everywhere. And that's just in America, right? Famines. Do we have famine? The UN reported in 2021 that 2.3 billion people face moderate or severe difficulty obtaining enough to eat. That's 30% of the world's population would be considered famine today. Pestilence. We've seen any pestilences. We know plagues are all over the place, right? They've been in part of our history for a long, long time. Cancer, AIDS, Something came through a couple of years ago. COVID. That's it. COVID. Yeah. How about fearful sights? What's a fearful sight? Have you guys noticed how frequent people are talking about UFOs now? It's like all over the news. Even some people that I, I really, really respect are like, oh, yeah, UFOs are a thing. And I'm like, okay. I mean, 
I don't think they're little green Martian men. Could they be demonic? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's no doubt about that. Think about this. What a great excuse for the rapture of the church. The more people begin to accept this idea of UFOs, when the church is gone, what a great excuse they'll have. Something to think about. I don't know if that's a fearful sight or not. To me, it's encouraging. But great signs in the heavens. Have we seen any signs in the heavens that the Lord may be coming soon? Now, if you want to go down this rabbit hole, you can spend a long time there. Okay? I'm just going to give you one example. But there are signs in the stars if you want to go look at them. There have been signs in the heavens. But one of the things that perked my attention was what they call the Great American Eclipses. It started in 2017, and it happened in August. There was a solar eclipse that came across the entirety, pretty much, of the United States. So that was its track, sort of like a bow like that, from the West Coast down through basically the Gulf. Well, in 2023, October, just a couple of months from now, there's supposed to be another one that's also going to run the length of the United States. And then in 2024, in April of 24, there will be a third great American eclipse that happens. And what you're going to find whenever they map out these eclipses, the path that they took will be resembling the Hebrew letter Aleph, the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's like the letter A in hours. So you have two long lines and a short line across the middle. Is that a sign? Well, I know Aleph represents God. I know that. I know that it represents the oneness of God. I know that there are three lines that make up one letter that would represent our triune God. Is the Lord trying to tell America something? I don't know. Not to mention, some of you have probably heard Amazon One has come out. They've come out with Palm Pay. Now all the Whole Foods stores require that you pay with the palm of your hand. That's today. That happens now. There's more stores that are going to adapt that. Maybe you've heard about the great global super currency that's right around the corner that they're supposed to be rolling out. Are these signs? I'll let you decide that. Verse 12. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So I love this because Christ now brings the conversation back to his people, back to the disciples, his followers, specifically to Israel, speaking about their immediate context and their immediate situation. Why? So that they wouldn't get too eager for the end and lose their focus for today. Right? While looking for signs. Too many Christians today, we spend more time stargazing and date setting than we do getting out trying to fulfill the Great Commission. We got to be careful. We got to be careful here. Jesus tells these people, You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put in prison for my name's sake. And that was true for many of, of Christ's disciples, for sure. The book of Acts, it, uh, it details many accounts of persecuted disciples of Christ. And so they needed to be prepared, right? I mean, this is a direct prophecy about Israel from the time that they're living in until the time of the destruction of the temple, which happened in AD 70. We're talking just a few years away. 
Things are about to get rough out for these guys. No doubt about that. And persecution simply applies to you and I as well. We should learn something here, right? Believers have never been exempt from persecution at any time in history, ever. We've been blessed to live here in America where we've sort of been shielded from that. But Christians all throughout time have suffered under persecution. Why? Verse 13. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Amen. Every situation we find ourselves in is an occasion for testimony, including being unlawfully persecuted, including being unlawfully imprisoned for our faith. Has anybody heard what happened in Wisconsin last week where a young man standing on the sidewalk quoting the Bible was arrested because he was doing it in a park that was hosting a drag queen show? There was probably 15 police officers, 15 to 20, that I could see in the video. Took his microphone away and took him away for simply reading from the Bible. This didn't happen in Russia. This didn't happen in Canada. This happened in Wisconsin last week. But you know what? That young man got out and he had an opportunity to address the city council. You need to go look that up. It was dynamic. A young man proclaiming the gospel of Christ without fear. God gave him an occasion for testimony. Was he persecuted? Yeah. Did he make the most of it? Oh, yeah. No doubt about that. Verse 14. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer. In other words, guys, make it a point not to dwell on your coming persecution. It's coming. You don't have to dwell on it. Verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Yeah, so Christ will give them a mind to think and he will give them a mouth to speak his truth in the right time, at the exact right time. We see this with Stephen. You remember his testimony. The Bible says Stephen was a man full of faith and power. And as he was being stoned, the word says, after he had spoken the truth in the synagogue, before the high priest, this is in Acts chapter 6 and 7, the word of God says he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now tell me, who does Stephen sound like? He sounds like our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people have called this dying grace. So Christian, don't worry about your coming persecution. Don't sweat the small stuff right? at all. Christ will give you the mind. Christ will give you the mouth to think and to say exactly what you need to think and say in that moment. And he will give you the grace to rest in him even up until your dying breath. Verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. In other words, Christ is saying, look, people are going to turn on you just like they turned on me. Even family members will turn on you. But Christ has already said back in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, my love for Christ has to be paramount. My love for Christ must be paramount. That is, if 
I want to claim Christ as my Lord. Verse 17. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Exactly right. So if the world hates you, Jesus said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That's John 15, 18. In other words, if you feel some hate coming from the world around you, you're in good company. You're in very good company. Verse 18. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. So Christ is going to protect his people. Now, this doesn't mean you won't die. Look at what it says. It means you will not be lost. Christ will see his children safely home. You can count on that. Christ will see his children safely home. Jesus said in Luke 12, verses 4 through 5, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after they have no more, they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Exactly right. Verse 19. By your patience, possess your souls. In other words, my job is to be patient as a believer in Jesus Christ. My job is to be patient and to trust Christ for all of my provisions and all of my protections, both physically and spiritually. Because genuine faith is modeled most clearly in the face of persecution. That's when our faith shines through, right? So Christ is saying, look, patiently endure to the end. Why? I'm with you. I'm with you. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is near. So here is the sign that they asked for back in verse 7. Here it is. The sign for what? The nearing desolation, the coming destruction of the temple. The sign is not, look at what the sign is not. It's not natural disasters. It's not disease. It's not false Christs. It's not even persecution. What is the sign? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's the sign. And so Titus and the Roman armies rolled into Jerusalem in AD 70 and utterly destroyed it. The second temple, everything, not one stone was left upon another. We have actual recorded history of this. Only 40 years or so after Christ had ascended back to heaven. And some say only about seven years after they completed the temple that Ezra started. So not long. But here again, we see the law of double reference. Look at what's going on. How does this come into play? Well, we know that Jerusalem was surrounded in A.D. 70. We have history that tells us that, that proves Christ's prophecy to be true. Oh, but we have more Bible prophecy that tells us Jerusalem will be surrounded again, won't it? This will be during the time of the third temple. This is during the great tribulation. You can read about it in Daniel 9, 11, or 12, Zechariah 14, Matthew 24, and so on. So this entire prophecy here is in one sense a smaller type of a much larger one. Okay, in other words, the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 is a foreshadowing of the great tribulation to come. Guys, Christ's prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem literally happened. So what makes us think for even one second that the great tribulation won't happen? Oh, it'll happen because the Bible is self-authenticating, isn't it? By the fact that what it says will happen actually happens. It's self-authenticating. Fulfilled prophecy proves that the Bible is true, and therefore what the Bible has predicted but has not yet happened, we must believe without reservation. Why? 
because it will happen. It most definitely will happen. Verse 21. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter her. So Christ's words to his people here are flee, depart, right? I mean, avoid the destruction. Again, what happened in AD 70 is a small picture, very small picture of the great tribulation. So those who would have been inclined to stay and fight, right? They're only going to be fighting a losing battle. God's judgment will always prevail, right? So look at it like this. AD 70 was this time of vengeance. It was the time of judgment. That's the time when Jerusalem was surrounded for the first time. But when it's surrounded again at the end or toward the end of the great tribulation, then Armageddon will happen. This will be a day of victory for Christ and his church, not judgment. Verse 22 For these are the days of vengeance. That's right. A.D. 70 was a time of judgment. Christ says that all things which are written may be fulfilled. God judged Israel in A.D. 70, and then they were again scattered abroad. They were scattered all over the globe. Christ's words here were literally fulfilled to the exact letter. All things which were written came to pass. Verse 23. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon his people. Imagine the stress of a mother's heart, a pregnant mother's heart, as the enemy moves in to destroy the city. So what can I learn from that? I would say the message for me is to flee my sin and to run to Christ in repentance and faith now, today. Because the wrath of God is coming for those who reject his son. Verse 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So again, we are still living in this time. What time? The time of the Gentiles. That's what time you and I are living in now. In other words, they have not yet been fulfilled as of today. The Jews, they rejected their Messiah. They were scattered. They were dispersed across the globe into all the nations. The Gentiles conquered Jerusalem, and they still do, at least in part, by the way. Some of you might know that there's currently a mosque still standing on the Temple Mount. So in that sense, they're still under Gentile rule. There's a mosque where the temple will one day be built. But what's going on in the time of the Gentiles is this. The gospel message is going out to the entire world. And at some point in the future, a time that only God knows. All right. So you can drop all the predictions. A time that only God knows the last Gentile will come to faith in Christ. And then and only then will the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's Romans eleven twenty five. And again, though it's not explicitly taught in this passage, we do know from further New Testament revelation that this exact time, that time when the last Gentile comes to faith in Christ and the time of the Gentiles have been fulfilled, at that time will be the rapture of the church. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. This is the time when Christ will actually remove his body, his bride from the face of the earth, we will be caught together into the clouds with him. And so shall we be forever with the Lord. This is called the catching away. It's the harpazo. It's where we get the word rapture. And at that point, when the church is off the earth, then the Lord will continue to deal with Israel. 
That's the great tribulation. And so next, here in our passage, Christ is going to begin to predict his return, verse 25, because at this point in the timeline here of this prophecy, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem has already happened. His disciples have been persecuted. They've been delivered up to prison. Some of them have been killed. The Jews have already been scattered across the world, and the Romans have conquered Jerusalem. That's where we're at in the timeline, okay? And so Christ is going to predict his return in verse 25. But some of you might be familiar with something else that's happened, interestingly, in Bible prophecy. On May, cha- on May 14, I almost said chapter 14. May 14th. 1948, when Israel was reborn, you could say, they became a nation, right? Just like the Bible said they would. In Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 and 8, it said a nation will be born in one day. That's Israel. It happened, right? The Jewish people were recognized in their own homeland. But think about it. It wasn't for another 20 years after that that they actually regained even a portion of of Jerusalem in what we know as the Six-Day War of 1967. But again, even today, Gentiles still have at least some control over that city until that mosque is replaced by the temple. But the point here is that the Gentiles all throughout time have been coming to faith in Christ ever since that last temple was destroyed. And even before that, the Gentiles have been coming to faith in Christ. And so again, this time in history that you and I are living in is still called the times of the Gentiles. And when that time is fulfilled, the church will be called home and then judgment will come upon Israel, the great tribulation. And then at the end of the great tribulation, Christ will return physically to this earth. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So you could say it like this. You and I are still living in the let's preach the gospel to the entire world time in history. Amen. That's where we are. Now, another little side note here. Luke leaves out most of the details about the tribulation in his account. Again, go to Matthew 24, go to Mark 13 for a further study. But what happens next here in Luke's gospel takes place toward the end of the tribulation. All right. But still yet before Christ's second advent, before uh, the second coming, verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Right. So there will be signs in the heavens, stress and confusion where on the earth. There's going to be the, the, the roaring sea when this is all happening during the tribulation. Believer, we're going to not be here. We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 26. Men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Again, men's hearts will fail because of fear and because of expectation. But notice, these people are going to be able to recognize the signs. They can see them. I mean, even common sense tells us It has to tell us that things can't go on like this forever, right? I mean, rebellion, think about it. Rebellion brings with it a certain sense of retribution. Like it can't go on like this forever. When will it end? When is all of this madness going to finally come to a head? 
What's the culmination of a world that continues to rage against God? What is that? Verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Amen. This is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Jewish, this is Israel. Even so, amen. So after Jerusalem has been surrounded again, and salvation seems to be nowhere in sight, right? The Son of Man will break through the clouds in power and in great glory, the word says. Look, Israel will be rescued by their Redeemer. This is the battle of Armageddon right here. You can see it in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16, verse 28. Now, when these things happen, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads up because your redemption draws near. Again, notice here, eyes are to look up. Heads are to be lifted up when these things begin to happen. So this doesn't mean it's going to happen tonight. Again, this is describing the great tribulation, all right? We're not going to be here as a church. But we are told that when these things begin to happen, that the end is near. That means imminent. It's coming soon, which tells us as believers, you know what? The rapture is that much closer. Is it not? Absolutely it is. It's also imminent. Mark 13, 32 says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. Oh, but we do know that when these things will begin to happen, we will know that. Those who are here will know that, certainly, because people see the signs. And when they see them, they'll know that time is now short. So what can we learn here? Well, I think we can learn this. It's time to repent. It's time to repent right now. It's time to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation today, right now. Why delay? Why ignore the signs? Why put off your repentance in any way? Because to do that, think about it, to ignore the signs, to put off or delay your, rep your repentance is to ensure your own destruction. Why gamble with God? Nobody knows the hour. Why roll that dice? Repent today so that redemption will be your reward rather than having to face the righteous judgment of God. So we're going to wrap, begin to wrap this up just a little bit with the final few verses here uh, of this amazing prophetic teaching because Christ is going to now give us an illustration of a tree. Verse 29. Then he spoke to them in a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. So the fig tree represents Israel. We see that in many places in Scripture. But notice Christ's illustration here includes all trees, all nations. What do trees do? Trees bloom, trees wither, trees die. What do nations do? Nations rise, nations fall, etc. That's the word picture here, verse 30. When they're already budding, the fig tree and all the trees, when they're already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So in the, in the last days, Israel will be budding. Okay? Remember, again, 1948, the tree was planted. 
in the end times, it will be budding. Okay, but since 48, Israel has really influenced basically every nation in the world. They've influenced, quote, the other trees. America, we've known the blessings of God because of our support of Israel over the years, have we not? Here's something else we know. We know that spring precedes summer every year. That happens like every year. That's the natural order, right? So when the trees begin to bloom, what does that tell us? Summer's coming. Summer is imminent. It's right around the corner. It's almost here. Verse 31. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Yeah. So here we see that the great tribulation precedes the coming kingdom of God. You could say that's the supernatural order of things. Verse 32. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Now, be careful here. Don't get confused. It's already been a generation since Israel became a nation. All right. And Jesus already told us that there are certain things that must come to pass. Things like wars, commotions, earthquakes, famines, fearful sights, pestilence, and so on. He's told us that those things have to come to pass, but the end will not come immediately. Remember verse 9. So I believe what Christ is saying here is that the generation that sees the signs after the time of the Gentiles have been fulfilled will not pass away until all of those signs have taken place. Which, of course, is, is going to be completed by the coming kingdom of God, the second coming of Christ. That's going to happen after the tribulation. And so all of these signs of the times, the great tribulation, Christ's return, all of that is going to happen within a generation of time. In other words, once things begin to happen, it will happen quick. That's the idea here. It's going to happen quick with increasing frequency and intensity, just like birth pangs. Verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Exactly right. What is he telling us? You can believe this. You can believe it. Nothing is more sure than the words of Jesus Christ. One day there will be a new heaven. One day there will be a new earth, but the word of God, the word of Jesus Christ, our Lord, will remain for all of eternity. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 89. It says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's settled. It's final. It's forever, right? So therefore, we need to get right with God and stay alert and understand that we can believe what the Bible teaches. Verse 34 but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. So take heed means to watch out, beware, and to keep watching. Okay, so there's, there's a consistency here within that phrase. It's not just uh, watch out once. It's keep watching out is the idea. So here's what we have to do, believer. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have to watch. We have to take heed and be careful that we don't get lost in the day-to-day -day drama of life. All right? And just forget who it is that we're actually living for so that that day, the day of Christ's return, would come upon us unexpectedly. Now, this is talking about the second coming. Of course it is. But it applies to the rapture as well. 
You don't want to be caught off guard at the rapture of the church. So take heed. Don't get weighed down with the things of this world, the carousing, the drunkenness, the cares of this life. Don't let that weigh you down. Be ready for the return of Christ because it can happen in a moment's time. More about that in a minute. Verse 35. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So what he's saying is nobody is going to escape this. Nobody will escape the coming of Christ. When Christ comes, the entire world will be in his snare. Therefore, think about it like this. Don't you think it would be best to be coming with Christ when he comes? than to be left here trying to fight against he and all of his armies when he gets here? Oh, man. I want to be among those in heaven's armies. Revelation 19, verse 14 and verse 19. When Christ comes, I want to come with him. Amen. I don't want to be here during the great tribulation. Verse 36. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of God. Yeah, so if you'd like to avoid being caught in the snare of God's righteous judgment, then you need to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith to save you. That's how you're counted worthy. That's what that means. This is how you can be counted worthy to escape his snare. By putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved by his grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we begin to close, um, I just want to kind of confess. What you've heard today is a pre-tribulationist, pre-millennial view of the end times. That's the view that I hold to. That's the view that I think is the most biblical. I might be wrong. There are other views out there. Okay, so do your homework. I've done mine. I'm going to keep doing it. And if the Lord changes my opinion on any of this, I'll let you know. But as far as I can tell, this is what the Bible describes to you and me as what lies ahead in terms of biblical prophecy and the end times. Okay, and I'm going to run through all of this again very quickly for you. So if you're a note taker, Sharpen up that pencil. But here's what's going to go down based on how I understand the scriptures. The next thing on God's prophetic timeline is the rapture of the church. Nothing else needs to happen in order for Christ to call his church home. So the very next thing is the rapture of the church. At that point, you're going to see the rise of the Antichrist. The church is no longer here on earth. The Antichrist will rise up in the earth. He's going to gain worldwide control. He's going to give a promise of peace, Revelation 13, Daniel 9. This is the tribulation period. Seven years of tribulation. God is going to judge. He's going to pour out his wrath on humanity. Revelation chapter 6 all the way through Revelation 16. That's the tribulation. Next, we're going to see the battle of Gog and Magog. Many think that's Russia. I'm in that camp. Again, I could be wrong, but I think it's very possible that Gog, Russia, Magog, the leader of Russia, not two, two entities, one entity with a leader, comes down from the north. If you look on your map, Moscow is directly north of Jerusalem. 
I think that's who this is. You can read more about that in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But then there's going to be the abomination of desolation. This is at the midway point of the tribulation. Three and a half years into a seven-year-long tribulation, we're going to have the abomination of desolation. Jews are scattered. Many of them turn back to the Lord, realizing that Christ is their Savior. Persecution breaks out all over the place. This is in Daniel 12, Mark 13, Revelation 12. And then at the end, toward the very end of the tribulation, the battle of Armageddon that's going to take place in the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. This is where Christ returns with his armies from heaven, Mark 14. He saves Jerusalem from annihilation. He defeats the armies that are fighting under a, a united banner around the world, and he defeats the Antichrist, Revelation 19. The Antichrist and the prophet are then thrown and captured into the lake of fire, Revelation 19.20. Then you have the judgment of the nations. Then you have the binding of Satan, Revelation 20. For a thousand years, Christ will reign on this earth. This is the millennial reign. This is going to happen. <laughs> this is literally going to happen. Can you imagine returning to the earth after you've been raptured? Seven years of tribulation have gone on the earth. We come back with Christ in a victorious battle of Armageddon. Satan is bound for a thousand years, and we're literally back here on the earth for a thousand years with Christ ruling literally from Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And then we have one more battle, the last battle. At the end of those thousand years, Satan's released. It's quickly defeated. Again, Revelation 27 through 10. And then the great white throne judgment. All those who are in hell are going to be brought forth up out of hell. The wicked throughout history, they're going to be resurrected. They're going to stand before God and they're going to be judged in their final judgment before they are cast into the lake of fire as well. And lastly, we're going to see a new creation. There's going to be a new heaven. There's going to be a new earth. God will completely remake the heavens and the earth. This is where God wipes away every tear. At this point in history, God will wipe, out, wipe away every tear. There's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. The new Jerusalem will descend out of heaven. And the children of God are going to enjoy eternity with Christ forevermore. Revelation 21 and 22. Can I tell you this morning, you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. You're going to want to be around for the new creation. So heed the words of Christ. Heed the words of Scripture. You don't have to be here in the great tribulation. Verses 37 and 38, and we're done. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple... But at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Amen. Christ was ever teaching, whether it was in the temple or whether it was out on the mountain. Christ had no home except for in the hearts of those who had received him. That's where his home was. So now the question for you and me is very simply, are we learning what Christ is teaching here? Have I escaped his snare? Have I escaped the coming judgment by being born again? Am I eagerly watching for his imminent return? Or do I have better plans for today? Am I serving Christ even through persecution, even though it's hard? Can I tell you, Christianity is hard. You've heard me say that before, and I'll keep saying it. 
because it's true. There's nothing easy about being a Christ follower. We have to pick up our cross every day and die on it and follow Christ. But am I eagerly watching for Christ? Am I serving him even though there's persecution most definitely coming? Have I picked up my cross and followed Christ, knowing that redemption is my reward because Christ is my richest gain? Thank you, Lord. Think about it like this. Do I spend more time worrying about when Christ will be here? When will Christ rapture the church? Do I spend more time thinking about the when than I do the until then? Be careful with that. The signs of the times are very clear. Our redemption is close and it's getting closer by the day. Christ could call his church home at any moment. It is drawing near. But don't get bogged down with the when. Worry about until then. What am I going to do for Christ with all that he's given me until then? We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this prophetic portion of scripture. Thank you for giving us insight into what's ahead. Thank you for just pulling back the curtain a little bit to help us to see what our future holds. And clearly from our text today, we can see that uh, it could either be judgment or salvation. We could either go through the tribulation or we could be called home with your church. It all depends on if we've turned from our sin and trusted in Christ by faith to save us. We know that your return is soon. We know that the rapture is even sooner. It could happen at any moment. And you tell us at the end of your scriptures, in the very last chapter of Revelation, the spirit and the bride say, come. So Lord, your church this morning says, come. We can't wait to be called home to be with you forever. And so my prayer this morning is for anybody hearing this message that has not turned their life over to you, that has not been saved from the wrath to come, that they would be born again right now, turning from their sin, trusting that Jesus Christ is God's only son who gave his life on that cross and took it up again in the miracle of resurrection so that they could have the hope of eternal life. I pray that they would believe that and be born again, even now, so that restoration and redemption will be their reward when you come. For the believers, Lord, we know we have a job to do. We are living in the time of the Gentiles. It has not been fulfilled as of yet. And so we have a job to do. We can see some signs. We know it's getting near. Our world is utterly degenerate. We don't know how much longer you can put up with us. But what are we doing until then? Help us, Lord, to have that great commission mindset where we can continue to take the gospel to the world until that last Gentile has come in and you take us home. Help us to not lose our focus, to not get bogged down by the things of the world, the carousing, the drunkenness, the things of this life. They mean nothing compared to our eternity. 
Help us to live with that mindset. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you. And we do look forward to your return. And we pray that is very soon. Until then, help us to be the church that you've called us to be. For we ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen.